Chapter 16 of The Mute Singer by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 16 Luminous Cloud. Honorine's impetuous spirit could not brook delay where her affections were concerned. She admitted that it would be more proper to allow a few days to elapse that her friend might become familiar with her new residence before she sought her there, but at the same time declared her intention of visiting Sylvie the very next morning after she took possession of her apartments in Rue de Anglouine. The objections and representations of Madame de la Tour were unceremoniously set aside by this child of impulse. She listened to her aunt with patience that good breeding demanded, but when she concluded, abruptly turned to her and her brother, and said, I will be ready at two o'clock. Will you not accompany me, Stanislaus? If not, I will take Claudine. Claudine was a trustworthy femme de chambre, who had been Honorine's nurse during her childhood, and was now promoted to the higher office of lady's maid. The Marquis hesitated, reluctant to refuse, though unwilling to consent, but finally yielded under protest to the tiny tyrant's despotic will. Sylvie was at her father's bedside when the card of her visitors was received. This was fortunate, for it gave her ample time to compose herself before entering the drawing-room. Indeed, her mien was so tranquil and self-possessed that Honorine, as she embraced her again and again with hearty warmth, chided her for her coldness. Yet Sylvie returned the greeting of Mademoiselle de Saint-Amar as though unaware of any other presence. When at last she saluted the Marquis, who stood silently by, it was without extending her hand or lifting her eyes. "'This apartment is charming,' said Honorine, glancing approvingly around the room. "'Now I may come and see you often, may I not? How cruel you have been to forsake me so long! You owe me an explanation before you have the right to forgiveness. Come, confess. Tell me what prompted you to behave so strangely.' Sylvie raised her downcast eyes beseechingly, and Honorine could not resist their mute pleading. "'I will not ask you, then,' she responded generously. "'I cannot abide mysteries, but I will tolerate this if you promise that our friendship shall not again suffer interruption. Come, promise.' Sylvie hesitated, evidently troubled and uncertain. Then she wrote upon her tablets, Who can answer for the future? Will you not promise to receive my visits? asked Honorine, in wounded accents. What could Sylvie answer? Could she cast aside friendship so warmly tendered? Could she trample underfoot affection so pure and disinterested? She wrote, I must ever be grateful for your visits and receive them thankfully. "'Receive me. That is all I ask,' replied Honorine, with returning vivacity. "'Remember our compact, and I will trouble you with no more questions.' The young girls seated themselves upon a cossuse, drawn close to the fire, for it was a bright, cold day in February. 
the marquis who with painful anxiety had awaited sylvie's reply to his sister's inquiry now wandered restlessly about the room after a while he paused before the jardinier and examined its luxuriant bloom to see if his orders were faithfully executed and symmetry of outline and blending harmony of colouring had been preserved in the disposition of the plants when sylvie's delighted eyes first rested upon that bed of odorous blossoms the miniature fountain in the centre was sending up sparkling jets that scattered a dewy spray upon the surrounding leaves but in something less than an hour it had ceased playing to her great regret the marquis had learned at what time she was expected and had taken care to have the fountain set in motion before she entered her new home he now unreflectingly touched a spring that acted upon the hydraulic machinery then suddenly fearing that he had betrayed his secret walked away with ill-assumed nonchalance the silvery sound of the falling drops struck on sylvie's quick ears she turned suddenly for the first time that day her eyes met those of the marquis one conscious transient look told all that she had divined yet scarcely dared to believe the finely toned piano the richly stored bookcase the marble saint cecilia the rare plants all that ministered to her taste all that maitre bourgeot had declared he had not seen when he had engaged the apartments had been supplied by a guardian hand the invisible influence of which she had felt even when she denied to herself its agency yet why should that hand plant flowers in her path open volumes for the cultivation of her mind place statues to charm her eyes or send music to aid her voice and gladden her home ah oh, why indeed honorine was puzzled by the paling of sylvie's cheek the increased rapidity of her breathing and the tightening pressure of the hand that she honorine chanced to hold the marquis had not uttered a single word and so pointedly kept aloof that his sister when she saw the direction of sylvie's glance fancied that their young hostess might be hurt by his singular and inexplicable conduct brother why do you not come and talk to us how dull and tiresome you are this morning that implies that i am sometimes otherwise thanks for the admission replied the marquis with a faint attempt at gaiety you are not half so as agreeable as late as you used to be answered honorine pettishly you have not seemed like yourself for some weeks and you don't appear to take interest in anything that interests me perhaps then you can dispense with the wet blanket of my society for a little while i have an engagement and if you purpose to prolong your visit to mademoiselle de la roche i will leave you and call in a half an hour may i of course you may you are so stupid and fidgety that we certainly do not want you do we mamselle sylvie has he not your leave to depart sylvie bowed too promptly to be suspected of the compliment of a passing regret at least so the marquis thought as he left the room the half-hour doubled itself before he returned he found an addition to the party 
which the young ladies would probably have pronounced an agreeable one a gentleman was talking to them in an animated strain they were laughing merrily at some anecdote which he was recounting with captivating fluency and spirit the nobleman at once recognized the young gentleman whom he had seen with sylvie when she left the salle st cecile a few evenings previous come honorine said the marquis to his sister without taking a seat i have only time to escort you home how soon you have returned replied honorine poutingly but rising as she spoke adieu mademoiselle sylvie i am coming to see you again very soon to-morrow if you will let me sylvie needed no language to express her glad consent to the marquis she merely courtesied with the same graceful coolness as before as he was quitting the apartment he turned almost without being aware of what he was doing and rapidly scrutinized the gentleman with whom he had left her alone you seem to have been very much entertained by mademoiselle sylvie's visitor he remarked to his sister on their way home yes he is a most delightful person he relates charming anecdotes and in quite a dramatic style she replied dr sylvester is his name mademoiselle sylvie tells me that he attended her during her long illness and is now the physician of her father rather a juvenile doctor replied her brother dryly and not greatly occupied with his patients since he has leisure for the amusement of two young ladies at this hour of the day oh mademoiselle sylvie says that he always remains and talks to her after visiting her father and i am sure she must be glad to listen to such an agreeable person and one who must be so kind and attentive when she was ill she must lead such a solitary life the marquis bit his lips and looked thoughtful and troubled his sister prattled on without waiting for replies or heeding his taciturnity the next morning he left the house before she appeared at the breakfast-table honorine expressed a hope that he would return soon after noon where do you wish him to take you asked madame de la tour graciously to see mademoiselle sylvie of course answered honorine with a rebellious air we have not met for so long that i intend to bore her with visits as a punishment for her staying away from me if my brother does not return in time i mean to take claudine with me that will not be necessary replied the diplomatic aunt i will accompany you myself you exclaimed honorine in astonishment yes i is it very wonderful that i should think it proper to go where my niece chooses to go the sanction of my presence is needed for her to escape remark perhaps censure madame de la tour had a double object in view in the first place if she accompanied honorine there was no need of her brother's presence in the second she said that during this visit her quick perception might enable her to gather material for a fresh plot through which she might possibly work out a new and more lasting breach she was not disappointed in her calculations dr sylvester had just visited his patient and was sitting in the drawing-room with sylvie when madame de la tour and mademoiselle de saint-amar were announced 
Sylvie was not in the least aware of Madame de la Tour's sentiments of animosity, and did not disguise that she was complimented by her visit. The lively sallies of Sylvester broke pleasantly through the formality which the presence of Honorine's aunt gave to the conversation, and Sylvie smiled gratefully upon him, never dreaming that her look of approval might be misconstrued by him or any one present. Madame de la Tour did not need to suspect that this handsome and polished young man was Sylvie's admirer. It was enough for that ready-witted lady that she had seen him and could report that he was a lover. It mattered not with how little foundation she had stored the desired material for her finesse to work upon, and her internal satisfaction made her particularly condescending to Sylvie. Mademoiselle de Saint-Amar was at once delighted and deceived, and when, as they were returning home, her aunt not only listened to, but echoed the praises bestowed upon the young singer, Honorine reproached herself for ever having imagined it possible that Madame de la Tour could have taken any part in producing the late estrangement. When Honorine met her brother at dinner, and very naturally commenced talking to him of Sylvie, she was surprised to find that he was already aware of the recently paid visit. He had received a full and graphic account, he answered, somewhat sarcastically, from their aunt. He did not add that she had confidently described Dr. Suvestra as Sylvie's favored lover, and had thus confirmed his own suspicions, or rather his jealous fears, for he had scarcely ground to build actual suspicions upon. Monsieur de la Roche had visibly improved since he had exchanged the close atmosphere of the Rue Saint-Denis for the purer air of the Rue Angloen. On the fourth morning after his removal, he opened his eyes, and gazing around the elegant apartment in which he lay, thought himself in a delicious dream. He beheld his wife at the foot of the bed, and at once noticed the change in her whole appearance. She wore a neat black silk dress, and a most becoming cap. She was no longer bending double to ply her needle, but held in her hand an open book, which she appeared to be perusing with interest. He had not seen her look so young and comely for many years. While he was gazing in dreamy wonder, the sound of a piano fell upon his ears, accompanied by a melodious voice. Surely that deep, resounding contralto was Sylvie's voice, that voice which he had believed hushed in silence forever. It touched a chord that started a train of memory. He recalled the hour when he last heard those mellifluous tones, remembered his accident, and the sudden and marvelous restoration of his daughter's vocal powers which ensued. But what had followed? Where was he? Marguerite, he said feebly. His wife dropped her book and started to her feet. Marguerite, he repeated with more energy. Is that really you? And is that our Sylvie's voice? Have the dark clouds which shadowed our lives turned their silver lining at last? The clouds are gone, returned Madame de la Roche with a burst of grateful emotion. 
You know me. You are yourself again. You will recover. There is no cloud now. God be thanked. Have I been ill then, and for a long time? His wife, as soon as she could sufficiently command herself, related all the events that had occurred since his accident and during the period of his unconsciousness. He was so much overcome by the narrative that he could only gasp out, Is it real, then? No card-house building, as Maitre Bourgeot called it. The walls will not crumble around me. And that patient, toiling, heaven-blessed child is the sun that gave their luminous lining to our clouds. Matayo, who was always in attendance, had been a silent witness of this scene. Unprompted, he hastened to summon Sylvie. Who could attempt to describe the depth and intensity of her joy when her father's arms were once more about her neck, and, coupling their name with tenderest epithets, he poured forth his thankfulness and love? She could not be induced to leave his side that day, not even to receive the visit of Honorine, who came accompanied only by her femme de chambre. Madame de la Roche usually shrank from strangers, but in this instance she readily complied with her daughter's request, and presented herself to Mademoiselle de Saint-Amar, to apologize for Sylvie's absence, and communicate its happy cause. If Madame de la Roche had experienced any timidity, it would have been rapidly dispelled by the ready sympathy with her joy which Honorine invinced, and by her ingenious praises of Sylvie and by the affectionate manner in which she dwelt upon the brilliant career that apparently awaited the songstress. When the gratified mother returned to her husband's apartment, her face was almost as radiant as that of her daughter. The invalid, as he looked upon his wife's beaming countenance, could not help saying, "'You believe in good luck at last, eh, Marguerite?' Do not remind me how ungrateful and undeserving I have been, she answered in accents of self-reproach. Sylvie has taught me to trust, and the lesson will never be unlearned, come what may. When Honorine, the ever-devoted, paid her daily visit on the morrow, she was accompanied by her brother. Though Sylvie's greeting of the former was unusually animated, her deportment towards the latter was as reserved and constrained as ever. The Marquis congratulated her upon her father's convalescence, and asked if he might be permitted to see him. These were the first words he had addressed to her since the happy day when they last walked in Honorine's conservatory together, the day that preceded so many weeks of sad separation. Sylvie looked surprised, but pleased at the request, and retired to praise her father. In a few moments she reappeared with her mother, who begged the Marquis to have the goodness to accompany her to the chamber of her husband. Monsieur de la Roche was so completely bewildered by this unexpected visit that he could not recover himself sufficiently to be led into any extravagance by his elation. The Marquis took a seat beside him, and, after a few courteous inquiries, hoped that he would shortly be restored to complete health, adding that a friend of his wanted a secretary, and that he had taken the liberty of recommending Monsieur de la Roche. The position, he went on to say, was a confidential one, 
and independent of a liberal salary his associations would be of a kind that a man of education and refinement must find agreeable it was well that monsieur de la roche had been so completely subdued by illness well that he was almost speechless from surprise for the few words of thanks and acceptance he was alone able to utter made a highly favorable impression on the marquis none of the enthusiasts old and bombast none of his florid exaggeration of sentiment found vent and his rampant egotism was completely laid at rest the marquis arrived at the conclusion that maitre Beaujeu, from whom he had learned many particulars concerning sylvie's father had done that individual singular injustice the nobleman when he returned to the drawing-room where his sister and sylvie were sitting in loving proximity did not make known the object of his visit to the invalid thanks would have been painful to him and he considered that none were due in serving sylvie though he believed her heart was bestowed on another he took as much delight as though that precious gift were his own love that deserves the name is ever purely disinterested it seeks the well-being of the object beloved without craving after gratitude without asking the compensation of returned affection without the remotest reference to self it would have given infinite joy to a nature as large and liberal as the marquis possessed to watch over sylvie from the distance to shower good gifts upon her with an invisible hand to smooth her path of life and guide her steps unseen to secure her happiness at any sacrifice even that of yielding her to one whom she loved better the health of monsieur de la roche now rapidly improved a revolution had taken a place in his character as remarkable as the change in the mental organization of his wife his tendency to indulge in visionary projects remained but it was kept in check by a promised reality which would require prudence and energy through the force of habit madame de la roche's anxious fears and gloomy anticipations were now and then reawakened but they were quickly banished by the remembrance of the joyful certainty which she had been blessed let it not be supposed that sylvie because she appeared to be free from the striking faults of her parents was absolved from the sequences of the great law of inheritance that these failings must be hereditarily transmitted to her was inevitable but as we have said before the tendencies derived from her sanguine father were counterbalanced by the precisely opposite qualities inherited from her melancholy mother then again the unhappy results of the two palpable shortcomings of both acted as a warning besides this sylvie possessed remarkable strength and individuality of character she could not copy any one even a parent her actions were never the mere reflex of the actions of others she could not forego the right of election and complacently walk in the path others had trodden and take it for granted that it must be the best because it was beaten by their familiar feet she must examine judge determine avoid or accept for herself a sense of responsibility 
early implanted by what we vaguely call circumstance, imparted this self-reliance and gave to her character its almost severe uprightness, its striking force and dignity. End of chapter 16